0: So this is the 26th day of prayer for the soul suffering for attachment to earthly things. Many souls are suffering in purgatory for having been too much attached to earthly possessions. Offer for their relief some indulgenced prayers. Catholic doctrine declares that souls who depart this life with the stain of venial sin or with forgiven mortal sins, not fully atoned for, are detained for a season, for a longer or shorter period, according to their guilt, in the flames of purgatory, where they are cleansed from every defilement in every spot, prepared for heaven. There they suffer the pangs of ungratified desire. There they are desolate with grief because their sojourn is prolonged. There they are grievously afflicted because he who is to be their reward exceedingly great is far from them and they are shut out and deprived for a time of their inheritance and portion in the land of the living. They thirst after him whom their souls love, as the parched land thirsts for the autumn rains. They long for him as the weary traveler longs for refreshment and shade. They pine for his possession as a mother pines for her lost and only son. They are sick with grief as the bride when the bridegroom tarries. Ah, who will describe their anguish? Who will express their bitterness. Their love is the measure of their distress, and in so far as a finite nature will permit, their love is proportioned to its object, and its object is the infinite God, God the unlimited, the boundless, the only absolute beauty. To measure their grief, then, we must measure God's loveliness. To gauge the depth of their pain, we must sound the bottomless abyss of God's perfections. But who can do this? Let it suffice, then, to say that their pains are beyond all computation and exceed all thought and power of utterance. Such is the doctrine of the Church of Christ. What a perfect flood of light it casts over the being of God! Into what startling relief it brings out the dazzling brightness of His purity, which cannot suffer a sin-stained soul to approach it how wondrously it reveals his hatred of sin and his abhorrence of all defilement, how it lights up, in a word, the whole position of God and points to him as the center and circumference, circumference, the beginning and end, the alpha and omega of all things. All things become desirable or undesirable, pleasant or unpleasant, good or bad, merely as related to him. His attitude determines and regulates all things, gives to them their fairness and attractions, clothes them with grace and beauty, and makes them what they are. So soon as the soul has shuffled off its mortal coil, it finds itself, so to speak, within the circle of God's attraction. It is impelled toward him with the utmost violence, as the meteor is impelled toward the earth. What now happens There may be no grievous sin to raise an impenetrable obstacle, a wall of brass between it and God. Nevertheless, if there be but venial sins, or the slightest failing, imperfections light as air, they will act upon it as the atmosphere upon the meteor. They they check it, they retard it, impede and interfere with its union with God, till in its anguish the soul burns and wastes away with unsatisfied desires until every trace of sin is destroyed. If but once open to the beatific vision, even but for one brief moment, the eyes of the soul can never close again without inexpressible pain. To close them and shut out that vision is agony. Not one instant's enjoyment of the sight of God can be forfeited without the acutest suffering. On this earth we may consent to live on without seeing God, but this is solely because we have never seen him. Once we see God, then to live any longer without seeing him is impossible. For such a one, all true life has ended. The soul may yet exist, it must exist, but it is only in the throes of death. Eternal death is, in fact, nothing more than the eternal closing of the eyes upon the vision of God. Hence the eternal darkness. Hence, too, the unending death. Such is hell. On the other hand, so long as the eyes may yet hope one day to see, the soul is only in purgatory. The thought of that long-for moment sustains it. Yet each successive instant that must first elapse flows by as an unmeasured sea of bitterness and grief. Yes, for to be restrained when we would feast on the glory of the infinite is to suffer the pangs of an inconceivable hunger, the pains of sense even of hell itself, are light and easy to support compared to that. Nothing but that seems quite unendurable. Ah, God, Thou art verily our all, Deus meus et omnia. Without Thee all else is nothing. If Thou smile upon us, our joy overflows and drowns all care and sorrow. Hide Thy countenance for a moment, and we are troubled. Cast us off utterly, and we wither away. What is heaven itself? God securely possessed. What is hell? God eternally lost. And what is purgatory? God hidden, hidden for a time as the sun is hidden by the passing clouds. When God is thus hidden, then the soul is deprived of light and warmth, and beauty and comeliness, as the earth is deprived of beauty when night lies thick over mountain, plain, and valley. We may aid our suffering brethren. By our prayers and sacrifices. These imprisoned souls are no strangers to us, but most dear and honored friends. Heresy, thank God, has built up no impassable barrier between us and those we once knew and loved, and who have now passed away. They are still our friends, yea, more our friends than ever, and we may still extend toward them a helping hand in the hour of their trial. Let us hearken to their cry, have pity on me at least you, my friends and do our best to succor them." Now this beautiful story of conversion. The following story showing the interest taken by the holy souls in those whom they loved on earth was related by the Reverend Father Schroeder in a he priest in the cathedral at Munich, Munich, Germany. And he said he had the details from the priest to whom it occurred. Late on a stormy evening, a priest of one of the parish churches of Vienna opened the door himself on hearing a loud ring at his door. A lady entered, saying she had been sent to require his immediate attendance for a gentleman in danger of death, adding that the distance was considerable, and begging he would take the holy viaticum. As soon as the priest was ready, she accompanied him to the parish church to procure the blessed sacrament, and said she would go before to show him the way. The night was wild, and before they had reached their destination, a house in the suburbs, a hurricane, was blowing, and the snowstorm was terrific. The lady stopped, saying, This is the gentleman's house, and she rang the bell. As the door was not opened, she did so a second time. On looking around, the priest found she was gone. Then the window was opened, and an elderly gentleman called out to know what was wanted. The priest answered that he had been hurriedly sent for to attend a dying man. There is no dying man in this house," the gentleman answered, "and no one is sick. It is quite a mistake." He was about to close the window when, moved by a natural feeling of compassion for the poor priest, he could scarcely who could scarcely stand. He added, "But if you would like to take shelter till the storm is past, you are welcome." So he opened the door and showed him into a sitting room, and set his lamp down on a table. He then threw open a door at the other end of the room, and disclosed a small oratory in which there was an altar, a large image of our Blessed Lady, and a lamp burning before it, saying, There you can deposit your burden. The priest placed the Blessed Sacrament on the altar, lighted two candles, made his genuflection, and re-entered the room, saying, I am sorry to have disturbed you, but at least I can see the mistake has brought me to the house of a good Catholic. There you are entirely mistaken, replied the gentleman. I am an unbeliever, and glory in so being. No doubt you are astonished at finding a chapel and an altar and lamp burning, but if you like, it is impossible to attempt returning during this whirlwind. I shall explain the meaning. He then told the priest that his mother on her deathbed had made him promise to keep that lamp burning as long as he lived, and that in that oratory she had daily prayed, and that he, when a child, had knelt with her. Then he spoke eloquently in praise of his mother, told of her goodness, her piety, her love of the poor, her only fault being her attachment to the Catholic faith, which he excused as an illusion which had done no harm to anyone and made her happy. Probably for many years he had never spoken of his mother to his own associates, but to this stranger whom it was likely he would never see again. He poured out his whole heart and seemed to take a strange delight recording all his mother's excellence and her love for him how she always said Hans my son I shall never cease begging Our Lady for your conversion and when dying she said that when in the presence of God it would be her first prayer that he might return to the faith the priest well versed in the science of souls questioned him and lured him on to talk he told him how he had once been a good Catholic how he had discovered that religion was all nonsense. What a life he had then led. How he had grieved his mother, for which he was sorry, adding that the least he could do was to remain faithful to his promise. And though he never looked at the altar, he took care the lamp should be kept burning all through these years, for she had been long dead. He suddenly arose, took the lamp, and said, See, here you may see her portrait, and held the light up to a large oil painting which the priest instantly recognized as the portrait of the lady who had conducted him to the house. Feeling that a supernatural mystery was being enacted, he concealed his emotion and continued encouraging him to speak more and more. The night wore on. The hurricane ceased. Neither seemed to heed it. Sorry? Uh... The night wore on, the hurricane ceased, and neither neither the priest nor the gentleman seemed to heed the fact the hurricane had stopped and to bring the story to a close. By three o'clock, the penitent was kneeling at the priest's feet, bathed in tears, making a full confession of his whole life and in such good dispositions that the priest gave him then and there Holy Communion at his mother's little altar. They stayed some time longer together, And before dawn, the priest took leave, promising to return on the following day and pay him a visit. He kept his word, but on arriving at the house, he heard that the gentleman had died. He had been found dead in his bed that morning. We may suppose the priest thanked God very fervently for the wonderful grace he had granted that soul.